0: This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we thank you for how you've blessed during this seminar. And as we talk uh, this last time about mission, we pray that you would uh, bless the this seminar help information that will be a blessing to many people to be shared. We ask for your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, now, um, the, during the penultimate session of, of this seminar, we'd like to talk about uh, something that uh, keeps the missionary going, and, and, uh, and that is, you know, to focus on the finish line. One One thing that uh, every missionary going through the throes of uh, a culture shock or of the daily routine uh, needs to keep in mind, one thing they need to keep in mind, is that they're working for a very uh, uh, unimaginably wonderful goal, and that is that one day there will be no more need for missionaries. Amen? What will we do? We'll be in heaven. (laughs) So mission, the unmistakable mandate, this is number six, the last session, when there will be no more missionaries. Um, And let me start by sharing with you um, an experience I had one day. I had a friend that was a motorcycle repairman, he's a good friend, we talk on the phone, even now, he calls me, I call him. Um, And one day I was sitting at his shop, I used to go and visit while he's repairing motorcycles and someone had left their motorcycle with him and and he's sitting, and he, sit, and he began, you know, we would talk about, about God. And he's sitting repairing on the motorcycle, and he said, I went to the mosque this past Friday. And he said, the imam started speaking about the Day of Judgment. And you can see, this is a pretty, he's a pretty excitable kind of guy, but he, you know, he was, he was calm. But as he started to talk about the Day of Judgment, he started to get nervous. And so he kept working on this motorcycle. And he said, and the imam said that the sun during the day of now. it's like, when he's telling me this, it's 100 degrees outside. It's really hot. And he said, the sun on the day of judgment is going to be right over our heads just like this. This guy's eyes started to water. And you can just see him in pain. He's talking about the sufferings of the day of judgment. And he's crying now. And, you know, we talked on. I let him talk for a long time. And then I talked you know, talked for a while. And uh, I realized from that conversation, I already knew this, but I realized like I hadn't before, that this world is suffering under a misapprehension, a misunderstanding of who God is. And so this, this this friend of mine was just, oh man, every time he talks about it, that was the first time I'd heard him talk about it. But since... We we talked about it more, and every time he talks about the Day of Judgment, just gets this tormented, terrible suffering, because in his religion, in Islam, there is no need of a savior. So and there is no savior. So if if you don't make it and in, in uh Islamic theology, one is never sure if he's saved or lost. There is no faith to know whether one is is uh, uh, accepted by God. So you can get right up to the day of judgment, get right up and not know whether you're going in or out because only God knows if your good works have outweighed your bad works, if you prayed your five times a day, if you've done enough to be saved. And, you know, just, just to, to listen to him describe and to watch him suffer as he describes, and I try to share with him as I can. Uh, he's not real open to the gospel right now, but I'm trusting that even through this, God is, is speaking to him. But it's a, it's, he is a symbol of a world that needs to know about Christ. And again, we'll, let's start today where we started on the first session. Hmm, did I do that? Okay. Our world is a vast lazer house or lazar house, a scene of misery that we dare not allow even our thoughts to dwell upon. Lazar house, it's a place where people with infectious diseases go to be treated. And the pen of inspiration says we don't use that word anymore, but the pen of inspiration says our whole world is like that. Did we realize it as it is, the burden would be too terrible. Yet God feels it all. In order to destroy sin and its results, he gave his best beloved. And again, God did not give Jesus on loan. He gave. And he has put it in our power through cooperation with him to bring this scene of misery to an end. Thank you. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached In all the world, for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So again, we can deduce if God has put it within our power through cooperation with Him to bring the scene of suffering and misery to an end, why would we want to do, why would we not want to do what He's asked us to do? And it says that the end will come, the Bible says, after the gospel has been preached to the whole world. Just a couple more. I know I have a lot of text here, but let's go through this and then we'll go to some things that don't have as much text. After the Savior's ascension, the sense of the divine presence full of love and light was still with them. That's the disciples. It was a personal presence. Jesus, the Savior, who had walked and talked and prayed with them, who had spoken hope and comfort to their hearts, had, while the message of peace was upon his lips, been taken up from them into heaven. As the chariot of angels received him, his words had come to them, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. He had ascended to heaven in the form of humanity. They knew that he was before the throne of God, their friend and Savior still, that his sympathies were unchanged, that he would forever be identified with suffering humanity. Now, Now, let's hold our fingers there and go back. It says here... That God gave his beloved son. Right? And if we go here, it says that he would, his sympathies were unchanged, that he would forever be what? Identified with us. Christ came as the greatest missionary to earth, and he took on human form. Did he take it on temporarily? No. He took on our form. He is still identified with us. And you know something about missionary life, those of you who've been missionaries and I've talked to quite a few of you, it changes you forever, doesn't it? You're never ever the same again. And you know, it, and you come back to home wherever home is, and home doesn't feel quite like home anymore, does it? Doesn't feel quite the same. It's still home, yeah, and it, you have loved ones and friends, but home also was where you lived all those years and learned to adjust and adapt and and grow. And you realize that home ultimately is where? In heaven, or on this earth made new. They knew that he, Christ, was presenting before God the merit of his blood, showing his wounded hands and feet as a remembrance of the price he had paid for his redeemed ones. And this thought strengthened them, listen very carefully, this thought strengthened them to endure reproach for his sake. Their union with him was stronger now than when he was with them in person. Isn't that pretty neat? Their union was stronger now than when he was with them in person. Why? Because they knew that he was representing them, humanity, in the most powerful place in the universe. That's powerful. And so the Jewish leaders expected to see these, these men beaten down, discouraged, afraid, And here they are triumphantly declaring the gospel and winning souls. The the light and love and power of an indwelling Christ shone out through them, so that men beholding marveled. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That all power is what gives missionaries the power to do what they do. There is no unreachable people group in this world because Christ has been given all power. Amen? Amen. There is no people group that is too resistant to the gospel because Christ has given all power. If he said go, all we have to do is be there. God does the rest. Amen? So when mission is ended, when there's no more need... For a missionary, this is taken from the Great Controversy. Another class stand pale and trembling, trusting in Christ, and yet oppressed with a sense of their own unworthiness. They hear with tears of joy and gratitude the Master's commendation. The days of incessant toil, of burden-bearing, and of fear and anguish are forgotten as that voice, sweeter than the music of of angel harps, pronounces the words, Well done, Good and faithful servant, enter ye into the joy of your Lord. Amen. There stand the host of the redeemed. Where will they be from? Every age, every country, everywhere. Just imagine the rainbow of colors. Imagine the faces. Imagine the people of all time who will be around the throne of God. You know, I had an interesting experience um, one of the other presenters came up to me. I, I remembered his face, but I hadn't seen him in over 20 years. Uh, when when um, I was first uh, a Bible worker, it was right here in this city, right before I became a pastor. I worked as a Bible worker for two years. Right here in Seattle, knocking on doors every day and carrying stethoscope, doing blood pressure checks for people. And it was, uh, it was here in Seattle that... Um, met many uh, refugees from, from Cambodia and got connected that way into mission. But what, what's uh, fascinating is one of the other presenters came up to me and said, hey, Mark Coleman. I said, hi. And I remember the face, but that was about it. He said, you're part of my testimony. I was like, yeah? He said, you invited me such and such. A, I had no idea. I couldn't remember that. What's it going to be like in heaven when all this whole host of people is gathered from all over the world, all ages, and people come up to you and say, you know what, that thing you did, or that time you went to here, or because you were a missionary here, it's because of that that I'm here today. That's going to happen a lot. That's why I say, you know, this, um, what do you say, the Facebook, the kind of networking that people do, it's nothing. Wait till we get to heaven. That's networking. That's networking. There stand the host of the redeemed, the palm branch of victory in their hand, the crown upon their head. These are the ones who by faithful earnest labor have obtained a fitness for heaven. The life work performed on earth is acknowledged. So God recognizes the work that you do for him, wherever you are, if you're, even if you're not a missionary. If you faithfully committed your life to his service, that day, it will be, even if it's not recognized now, it will be recognized then when it really matters. Amen. The life work performed on earth is acknowledged in the heavenly courts as a work well done. Go back to this photo here for a minute. Um, That was home for 10 years for us. Um, And it's just a perfect picture because it describes a country at that time that was always on the brink. There was uh, one particular day when... We were, um, when I had to rush in, it was another day, another time like this. The country was always up and down. And I had to rush in. We lived two and a half hours from the capital after our first two years there. I had to rush into the bank to get enough money for another month. So uh, things were unstable, but I had to get in. We knew things were going to explode soon, and, and I wanted to get out of the capital because usually all the problems were concentrated around there. And when you're carrying a good bit of money, you, you, you have to be secretive, and you, and you want to get in before trouble breaks out. And so things had gone well, and I'm on my way out of town. And then I'm in this taxi, and, and I, just, I hired the taxi by itself because I had money. I didn't want a lot of people in the car with me because one time I was in a taxi, and someone sliced my bag and stole some money. But, so I'm in the taxi this day, and uh, um, all of a sudden, we're riding down the road, and the streets are empty. I'm like, something's wrong here. This is a city of two million people. Why are the streets empty? And the taxi driver said, yeah, this is weird. And all of a sudden, up the road, we see coming, it's a divided highway, a divided city road, paved road. We see coming up towards us on the wrong side of the of the barrier, pickup trucks, one pickup truck full of soldiers, just loaded down, and they have um, tear gas guns and and uh, machine guns, and they're heading right towards us. And so I'm like, oh no, what are we going to do? And the taxi driver said, be cool, we'll be fine. So he spins around the middle of the street, and we take off, and we get up to the main intersection, and these. Soldiers are bearing down, and we take a turn up there, and all of a sudden, these hundreds, thousands of young men running down the street, just ready to, you know, with sticks and rocks and everything, ready to go to battle with the soldiers. And I'm like, what are we going to do now? Let's, let's get out of here. But there was nowhere to go. So the taxi driver said, just be cool. Everything's going to be fine. So he pulls off into a dirt road, a side road, and rocky, up and down, and he said, don't worry, I'll get you to where you need to go. So he got me to this one, uh, another taxi stand, and things were, you know, starting to get really unsettled in the city. I was like, I got to get out of town tonight. I don't, I don't have a place to stay. I, you know, I don't want to get stuck here with all this money. So I went around. I said, is there another taxi? Can one of you guys take me up country? And I finally found a guy that was brave enough. He said, yeah, let's go. I said, now, do you know how to avoid the trouble areas? He said, I think so. So we come out into the city and we come up the road and there in front of us the road is blocked by hundreds of young guys again with their sticks with their rocks ready to riot you don't want to get caught in one of these so um, they stopped the taxi the taxi driver kind of looked back at me like what do we do now I'm like I don't know and uh, they had their rock Well, the leader had a rock, and the other guys were behind. I mean, there's hundreds of guys there, but you knew who the leader was. He was standing right by the road, and he's looking at us, trying to decide what to do. And then right beside us, a soldier who'd been caught off base. was on. He had grabbed someone on a taxi, a motorcycle taxi, and I'm sure he said, take me back to the base. And so he had his gun pulled, and just just out of the holster like this, just holding it. And the guys with the rocks and sticks are watching, and they're looking, trying to decide because once one rock comes, it's over. That soldier would have died. He probably would have shot a few people, but he would have died. And in in the car, the car probably would have been lit on fire and probably turned over, and the riot would have started because kids were riding all over the. It was political, and young people were riding all over the city. So, we I said a prayer rolled down the window, and in, in the language, local language, told him, Hey, please, we're all together in this. Uh, we just want to get by. So the guys behind him started pulling on his shirt, you know, let him, let him go. The guy's still holding his rock. Not, all he had to do was throw the rock, and everything else would have just broken loose. And I'm sitting there praying. And finally he said, Okay, go. He let the soldier go, and he let, let us go. And, you know, I praised the Lord for his protection that day. However, if anything had happened, it still does not mean that the Lord would have left us. You know, God God protects his children. But there are times when he sees fit to allow us to go through, as his servants, suffering as well. But what sticks in my mind is the promise, when there will be no more need of missionaries, what does it say? They shall not hurt nor destroy. Where? Where? In all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Amen. There won't be need for missionaries. Then, because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Jesus will have come. As the waters, the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11.9 I told you a little bit earlier about the country of Mauritania. Now, again, these aren't my pictures. These are pictures I just took representing these uh, places off of the internet. Um, in 2009, in this country, a very popular non-Adventist uh, missionary was doing his work, very well known, and um, had a, he he spoke the local language very well, the Hassaniya dialect of Arabic, and he had a language school and did some uh, many other things. Was doing work among the poor in the city and very discreetly doing gospel work, I guess. Very, very discreetly. Um, one day, he was getting out of his van in the main market there to, to go to his language school, and um, extremists grabbed him, kidnapped him. To kidnap him, he resisted, and he lost his life. Uh, that... that uh, not long after that, most of the missionaries that... that Work in the country left, Um, and so it's it remains spiritually speaking uh, a desert place where not much uh, gospel work can be done, and it physically the, the Sahara Desert comes right up in Mauritania to the ocean, right up to the ocean to 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 the Atlantic Ocean, but we have this promise. Isaiah 35 paints a beautiful picture of the coming of the Lord, of the day when God makes all things new. And in that day when there will be no more need for new missionaries, the Bible says, the wilderness, places like that, and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Amen? What a beautiful, you know, from, from this to blossoming. And you know what? This is good. This is on... This has got to be on the edge of the capital, Nuakchot. Because once you get a little bit further out, I mean, there's no trees. It's, but that's, that's how it is. But one day, when there'll be no more need for missionaries, uh, that desert will blossom as the rose. Uh, Arnold, you ought to know this place. Do you know this? It is Cambodia. Um, When we were first missionaries in Thailand, we um, lived on the Cambodian border and pastored in the refugee camps. In fact, Brian uh, Wilson here, um, a colleague, uh, was a missionary in a refugee camp way up on the border of Laos. But I remember when we were living on the Cambodian border, every night or every other night for a time, we would hear artillery shells every night. Boom, boom, boom. Because of the war going on in Cambodia. And and there were a lot of child soldiers in that conflict. Praise God, the conflict is ended, long ended now. But the Bible says, He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears, their instruments of war, into pruning hooks. What's a pruning hook? It's, it's used for cultivation of, of fruit. Uh, for, um, I'm thinking of the French word. That's why I'm having trouble getting it out. Uh, cutting and, and uh, pruning trees. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Amen. Amen. No more war. There will be no need for missionaries in that day. Now, let me just very quickly, I know I'm going to, I hope I don't make you dizzy going back like this. But, I want to go back to this quote here, where it says, okay, there it is. God feels it all, and in order to destroy sin and its results, he gave us his best beloved And he has put it in our power, potential missionaries. He's put it in our power, missionaries, through cooperation with him to bring this scene of misery to an end. Don't you think God wants to bring the scene of misery to an end? And you and I have a part to play. We can shorten the time of misery on this earth. This is an interesting picture. That is that is not a stuffed animal. That is not a fake picture. That is not a stage picture. That they uh, this leopard got out of his enclosure, and they're trying to corral this in West Bengal. And while they're trying to corral it, he attacks one of the men that's trying to catch it. Um, just recently, I was in Nepal, and uh, we were at Sheer Hospital there in Nepal, and right behind the hospital, there's, um, there's, there, there are hills and, and mountains all around, and, and um, you know, it's just a beautiful country. And some of the men at the hospital, there were saying, you know, in the villages around here, every, every month or so, a leopard comes out of the forest and snatches children, kills children. Um... And when I saw this picture, I said, oh, yeah, this has got to go in this live presentation. Because in that day when there's no more need for missionaries, look what the Bible says. The wolf and the lamb shall do what? Feed together. And the lion, and that probably includes leopards too, don't you think so? And the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. Amen. We have a reason to spread this gospel as fast as we can to the whole world. Amen. Tried to get pictures that weren't too uh, graphic. This is probably the most graphic one. And I will raise up for them a plant of renown, and they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land, neither the shame of the heathen, Neither bear the shame of the heathen anymore. Um, we don't know here in you know it's it's well let me put it this way: the first thing that strikes your eyes, and I know many of you are missionaries or been missionaries, and you can agree with this, when you come back to North America, what about the people strikes you? Their size. Our size. Because we have an abundance of food. Of, um, and even, the, even if we eat a little bit, it's so packed with calories that we, we, we do well. But you go to other places in the world, other areas of the world. Um, people are trying to figure out how... They're going to eat the next meal. You know that. The Bible says, And I will raise up a plant of renown, and they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land. Missionaries have a reason to be missionaries. God has put it within our power, as we read in that quote, to cut this scene of misery just a little bit shorter. Amen? Amen. Ah, right here from North America. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall, no, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Uh, when we were building a church um, back at our project site, uh, we, we were working with government officials. And what they were doing, and you, I've seen this in several countries, in fact, as many times uh, government officials or unscrupulous uh, businessmen will go into an area and they'll trick villagers in buy up all their land and promise them things, and, and those things tend to never be realized, and promise them money that's never realized, promise them benefits that are never realized, and then the people that have bought up the land or the government officials that have taken the land turn around and sell it extremely high and make a very large profit. Have you ever seen that? It happens quite a bit. And so we're, we're trying to build a church. And I determined, you know what? We are not going to buy land and cheat the... Um, in, in, in uh, There they called it uh, the customary owner. The, the owner who owned it. Who, in whose family the land had been for years and years and decades and decades. And so we went to the government and we said, look, make sure, we want you to make sure that this price that you're selling this land to us for, that the original owner gets his fair share. Well, it got to be quite a big discussion because they understood that we understood what was happening. But as far as they know, as far as we know, they did uh, give the man the right price. But, you know, here that this text speaks to that. They shall not build... And another inhabit. You know, in, the, in our recent financial crisis, how many people lost homes? How many people are still losing homes? You know, if we build there in the in, in heaven and the earth made new, we'll live in it. Amen? For eternity if we want to. And, you know, we, I used to play a game with my girls when they were little, or we'd talk about it sometimes when we were little. Not, not all the time, but sometimes. And, you know, let your imagination go. What's your home in, in the earth made new going to be like? You know, are you going to... We do things like, yeah, I'd open the window and there's going to be a giraffe outside my window and I'm going to slide down his neck, you know, and hit the ground. And, and we just, just, you know, your, your most wonderful imagination and your, the, the, is, falls far short, the Bible says, of what God has really prepared. Um, the beautiful thing is, where's your neighbor going to be from? You know, is your neighbor going to be from maybe your neighbor will be the person that you, as a missionary served? you know just just we cannot imagine, but we will build our own homes according to the Bible, and we will inhabit them and not worry about the bank ever having to take them. I think that speaks for itself. How many hearts are lonely uh, um, one day, um, in the city of, of Bangkok, I was waiting at a bus station. And I remember seeing a little kid. Uh, I mean, he was, he was small. But the guy carried himself, little guy, know, three or four years old, carried himself like a little man. And I uh, watched him for a while, just watching, and and, uh, he was just kicking around the parking lot, it was kind of early in the morning, and uh, people were, he was talking to people, excuse me, and um, people were talking to him, looking at him interestedly, and I I just thought, I wonder if this guy lives on the streets, I wonder if he's alone, it kind of is a little, um, it was a little strange for me, that was the first time I thought it occurred to me, but there are a lot of kids like that in this world. And I know that the Lord has a special place in his heart. And he says, for, for children like that, those that are saved, he's, and he's speaking to his children here, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many little houses. Is that what it says? That's right, amen. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I might come again and receive you unto myself. No, that's really messed up. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. No more lonely kids. We have a reason to take the gospel as quickly as we can to the farthest corners of the earth. Amen? I don't know how many times this picture has been a reality for me and my wife. As we've uh, worked with families where there's one father and two mothers or three mothers or four mothers who are constantly in this bitter battle because of their understanding of God, of religion, and love. You know, the pen of inspiration says that polygamy is, and she uses the word sin, that tends to dry up the very springs of love. What does it do to society? This, this competition, this, this hatred. From the one place that should be the safest place on earth, people learn to hate and learn this. this. And you know, polygamy does something else. Many people have beliefs about um, spirits, and, and they have beliefs about um, if, if, I, if I want to do harm to you, then I'll go to, some cultures call it the medicine man, uh, some cultures may call it the, the karamoko, some t- cultures may call there are different names for it, witch doctor. If I go, if I know that you're trying to hurt me, I'll go to the witch doctor and I'll give him some money or, <clears throat> or I'll take a lock of your hair or I'll take uh, some object that belongs to you and he'll cast a spell on it and that will do you harm. Have you ever heard... Similar things like similar things similar to that. Well, you know what polygamy does in your very home, because there's such distrust. Many times, what happens? People who will interpret even bad things that happen as a brother or a sister who's jealous. Remember the story of of uh, Jacob and his wives, and and very similar. It's the very same thing. We and and so people will go to these these witch doctors, these medicine men, and and in an, they'll, they'll try to get, first of all, protection from any harm that someone's trying to do them, but also to cast a spell or to do some harm to someone who they dislike, even if it's within the home own family. So what happens is polygamy tends to strengthen other evil, evils as well. The Bible says, you know this text very well, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Why would you not want to be a missionary? Man, there's, there's a, no, I, didn't, I don't mean the mango. I meant, I meant to, to take away the pain. Now, we'll talk about the mango here in a minute. That's, that's a good reason to be a missionary, too. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, That almost looks airbrushed. But there are some wonderful, um, we had in our, in our yard in Africa, we had, uh, in Guinea, we had four types of mangoes. And one, one tree was grafted, and uh, part of the, I guess the graft didn't take in one part, because we had normal mangoes and grafted mangoes, and I think they kind of got mixed too. So there was like a third type of mango. It was, it was really, really neat. But here, you know, can you think when in heaven, or in the, and the earth made new, when you pick a piece of fruit... And, you know, here they've got to be shriveled up and small because of the, the, the depleted soil and sin and all this. How big is a mango going to be in have Maybe the size of a watermelon? And if you pick it and you don't eat it all, yeah, you have to carry it on your head. you don't pick it and you don't eat it all, what's going to happen to it? Will it spoil? No. And you won't need refrigeration to keep it. When there is no more need for missionaries, that's what it's going to be like. You pick a flower and you go away for a month to another place. Will the flower die? No, you'll have a bush on your table when you come back. You have to take the flower out that's been picked. It won't die and you take it out and plant it in the yard. Here's the point. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. In Africa, in Asia, in Europe, North America, South America, there are people all over the world that still need to hear the gospel. And God has prepared a place of unimaginable beauty and peace for them. For the saved. And we have the power, through the Holy Spirit, to shorten the time of the suffering of this world. The experiment with sin is almost over. Why would we not want to be missionaries? Why would we not persevere? Why would we not suffer just a little longer to help bring this day about? I would encourage you to consider um, service. As a missionary, if you haven't, if you have, please encourage others to do it. We are living in the last days, and we need to help prepare as many people as possible for the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I'm going to turn it over to my colleague Arnold, who is going to share as normal. Um, We are at the end of our seminar. Thank you for those of you who followed all the way through. And may God bless you all. I think after Arnold finishes, we'll take a few final questions, if there are any.
1: I I want you to know that uh, it's really what God does. It's really neat to see God work in the mission field. We can do whatever effort we want, but it's really, really neat to see God work in the mission field. Did I already say that? Um, I put up posters because uh, I told you earlier that um, I barely speak English myself, so they wanted me to teach English class. And, um, I mean, I really don't know a noun from a verb. I really don't. And... um, But they wanted a conversational English class. and They wanted me to teach it. And so we put up posters all over the village in the market. We're going to have this conversational English class. It's going to start tomorrow at 1 o'clock. And um, I went to the market uh, to get something, and all my posters were torn down. And it was perfectly legal to do what we were doing. And uh, I remember uh, going back and feeling a little bit rejected. You know, they tore these posters down. No one's going to come. But I thought maybe one person saw the posters. I found out that the police had taken all these posters down. And um, so the next day, one young lady showed up fairly early. And about 19 men showed up. I was like, wow, this is great. I'm glad the posters got taken down. About two weeks into the class, we talked about everything. I let them choose the subjects, marriage, whatever. We talked about everything, anything, and we just had conversational English. The second week, eight of the men came in full police uniform. I said, you guys are police? By this time, two weeks had passed, and I had made friends with these guys. He said, we're all police. We took down your bulletins thinking, you know, if we don't take them down, we won't have room to get into your class. <laughs> and we asked the chief of police if we could come to your class. And I'm serious. I, by that time, two weeks, we had had small meals together. I had made friends with them, not knowing they were police. My guard was in a different position, and I treated them just like everybody else. And I had become really good friends with about 19 of Kampong Cham's finest policemen. And this is something God can do, not what man can do. Because I would have treated them different had they showed up in uniform. I would have treated them with a different kind of respect. I was respectful to them, but I didn't realize they were police. And God had opened up a way for me to become very close to men, thinking they were just young men from the village. When my student missionary got in an accident, it was not his fault, but because of the foreigner, you'll learn this, because if you're the foreigner, it's your fault, regardless They took him down to the station. I went down to get him and they said, oh, is this, is this guy related to you? I said, yeah. They let him go right then, immediately, let him go. Put him back on his motorcycle and find the other person. I am so excited that God can do things like this. The other story that I wanted to tell you is that how God works is not how man works again. I remember Nancy Knott coming to my my house, and he had buried his books during Pol Pot time, during Pol Pot's regime, in the ground, and he showed them to me. He was so proud of these old English books that he had gotten somewhere. Worm-eaten, because if you got caught with an English book by one of Pol Pot's soldiers, you probably would be put to death. Nancy Knott, I didn't know... He just wanted to do this conversational English with me. He came every day at the same time. He spoke very good English, and I just made friends with him. I didn't know where he worked. I'd never asked him. It never dawned on me to ask what he did for a living. And we needed legal permission to build a church in Kampong Cham. We prayed and prayed because we had to go to the, we had to go to the religious ministry and get this signature. And I remember my language helper went with me. Because I knew I didn't want to make the same kind of mistakes. I wanted to make sure I was saying what I was saying. He let me do all the talking. And then he would correct things that I said wrong. But when we got there. We, we, were, we had prayed all morning. Lord you got to help us with this. We need this, this signature. It's the last signature we need. And. I walked in, and the secretary to the man who I needed to get the signature was Nancy Knott. This man that I had been having conversational English classes, he took me inside as his friend. He said, these folks need a signature. The guy looked up at me and said, they're your friend? Yeah, Sign it, hand it right to me. Never had I ever had such an easy signature to get. The church was built and still is standing there. And I will just tell you, it is so neat, like I said before, to watch God work. When you're out there, make friends with any and everybody is my suggestion to you. Network with anyone you can. I went to the monks and we we got a big old bag of Glasses, prescription glasses. And I remember we went to the monks because um, they're the religious uh, leaders in the country and they're influential. And we took this bag of glasses and and they were glasses from every kind of, you know, eyes from America you can imagine. And I remember the monks going, Chabah, Chabah, I can see clearly. You know, they'd be closing one eye, and and we snapped some glasses in half and put one lens from this side to this side, and they had some really weird-looking, but they could see for the first time in their life. And I remember thinking, we should teach religion classes. I've always had this thought, we should just teach religion classes, teach about Buddhism, teach about Christianity, stop a long time at where seventh heaven is star you know but and we offered these classes to the to these monks and they wanted to do it it never got done but i often wonder was god trying to show us something on how to reach different people groups and when you go out love everyone you you possibly can love because it's it's part of really the the mandate all we're, all we're on this earth for is to make people more comfortable. We're all in this sin-sick world together. And my passion is, is that each one of you will be somewhere working for the Lord when he comes back in a way that's unmistakably, you know, every day, every breath you take is something that he has, has done for you. Every contact you make, every door that's opened. I remember I loved to water ski. I'm going to tell you the story real quick. We're out of time. We want to do some questions. What do we got? One minute? Two minutes? Okay. Want to hear the story? Okay, good. Uh, The governor's son had a boat. Imagine a $40,000 boat amongst poverty like you cannot believe. I didn't know it was the governor's son. But I saw this boat shooting around in the Mekong River. And I went down and I talked to his driver. And I said, does that guy know how... Uh, could he water ski me? I'll pay the fuel. And he got on a radio. <coughs> I know, uh, you know, we're, all this is done in Cambodian language. guy comes flying in. He says, you know how to water ski? Look at that pile of equipment. I don't know how to use any of it. So he said... Y- You want a water ski, just go over and get some water skis. And um, I went and got a one ski and a vest and put it on. I I was in my jeans. I didn't have a bathing suit. But I I thought, man, water skiing. The God has provided water skiing on the Mekong River. I said, hit it. He took off, but yanked my arms off. I should have asked him if he knew how to pull a water skier. He was going around boats and through floating gardens. And, oh, man, I finally had to let go. I was just like 60 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour. I mean, weaving through. And I was like, no, man, hit the big water, you know. All I remember about that was he was a terrible driver. (laughs) And he had a machine gun that kept coming out from underneath the seat of his boat. And he needed Jesus. And I had a chance to witness to him. And God will open up opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for you as you go out. Don't think He won't. He loves you as much as He loves me. And I can tell you story after story how He opens up those opportunities. And uh, I'm going to turn it back over to Mark, take questions, and we can answer them. Just use this. Okay, yeah, I guess just use. Uh, are there any questions before we close? Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, you've just asked one of the hardest questions in, in, in the world. The church, in, um, the church has taken the stand in uh, the part of the world I'm familiar with because of uh, the now, well, no explanation. What the church has done is taken the position that when someone comes into the church with multiple wives, that um, they must keep the first wife. And take care of the other wives, but they're no longer their, their functional wives. Um, that person has to make a difficult choice. Um, but but to and I can understand the church's reasoning because to bring polygamy into the church would be problematic. So um, that's the that's the kind of the gentle answer to that. But and I do agree with the church's position. hmm Three years in Thailand. hmm My wife is Thai. hmm
2: Her father was a polygamist. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of her half-sisters and half-siblings, they live together on the same compound very happily. hmm There's been no real rivalry. They're very close to mm-hmm. now. Her father has passed away. hmm But they're all still close even after they're hmm
1: Right. And what we do here in America is polygamy. We divorce one and
0: marry another, divorce that and marry a third. Sure. And that's a form of polygamy. It is. Well, I appreciate your your um your experience. Um I would only say that if we believe the Bible, that the the, the case that you're mentioning is the exception and not the rule. Um there there and I, and I have heard of the exception. I've never seen it. I've I've heard it uh said. But again, um, if we believe the Bible, we believe the spirit of prophecy, I think what you're saying, and I don't discount it, but would be the exception and not the rule. God and, never, God never, uh, gave us that's right. You know what? We, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to make this a discussion about the polygamy, but yeah. uh, the Bible is very clear. Yes, go ahead. I'm very familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that. And then um, Dr. Davis also has a, a book called The Flame of Yahweh, which quotes heavily from Dr. Dupree. And the Bible is very clear. There's something called narrative theology in the Bible. Um, and I'll kind of end this discussion with that. Narrative theology is where God doesn't um, say in bl- black and white, this is it but he tells us the story so that we can understand the implications. God is is, um, showing his displeasure with the system by telling us the story of how it turns out in the Bible. It's very, very clear in the Bible. But we'll we'll stop that discussion there, otherwise we can get bogged down in a long discussion. Is there one more question uh, before we close? Yes? Very good. Very good question. Well, children in general, and I'll speak about my children, so children in general have a challenge adopting, adapting to, uh, to the change of changing from one culture to another. They adapt very easily to the culture. But as they get older, um, there, are, there are challenges that what we call third-culture kids have. So they've, they've gone through that where they come back to America and not really feel like they totally fit in because they, they grew up in another culture. And, and some of you may have, have felt that as well. But the beautiful thing is they're they're doing fine and and doing well. You know, it's a matter of prayer, um, a lot of prayer. Uh, our oldest daughter is back in Africa as a student missionary for a year, and the younger happens to be in India uh, right now on a short term mission mission trip. So they've adopted they've adapted fairly well, and there are. Yes, well, a lot of talking about what it would be like, and then a lot of assurance while we're here that it's okay to feel a little bit different. It's, it's, In fact, it's good to be different many times. And it's okay not to feel like you totally fit in because, you know... Um, God is with you, and you have a special view of the world that many of your friends don't have. So you, you, you give them both. You let them know that the challenges they will face from friends who don't understand and from people who are insensitive, that's real. But the advantages they have of, of understanding the world, understanding other cultures, and one thing that my daughters have gained is the ability to, you know, they can make friends with people of other cultures very quickly because they understand what it feels like to be on the outside looking in and i th- think many of you understand what i'm talking about so by just being supportive and helpful in that way uh, it's been a blessing to them that's right and in that sense, it's good too I mean, we're seeing second and third right and my wife has got to say something here and we'll close with this statement
2: I'm just going to give a, a mother's perspective. And um, one thing that we saw that was very important is as long as you have a close family, while, while children are young, you know, all they know is this is mommy and daddy, and wherever mommy and daddy are, it's a pleasant experience. They just have fun, you know, they grow up wherever it is, that, that becomes home to them. So when we were in Guinea, Um, When we were in Thailand, our daughter was born in Thailand. That was home to her. When we came back to the States, she wants to go home. Um, When we lived in Guinea, um, it was 10 years, so most of their former years were in Guinea. Um, They just they loved Guinea. It's like that's their home. That's where their mother and father are, and that's where we are as as a family and as a unit. Um, As they got older... They started, like in their teenage years, that's when things started to become, you know, wow, while they go back to the States, while wow, people look at them. You know, I mean, we, sometimes it would be three years before we, we came back here. So there were adjustments in dress. You know, things change, um, um, and electronics and different things where they didn't f- feel quite in. That they had to learn. Um, and that's anywhere, if you're, if you're a PK or you're in the uh, Foreign Service or wherever you are, you have to constantly adapt back and forth. And um, so, but normally the children, they adapted well. Now they're both, um, one's an adult and one's um, almost an adult. Um, they still say, Mom, boy, we miss Guinea, we miss home. And, you know, when they're here, it's like, wow, our other daughter has adapted really well to the academy. She's in the academy right now, and she's blossoming really well. And so, you know, you are going to have difficulties, and you just have to be a close-knit family, and I think that's key. If you have a close-knit family, then they're comfortable wherever you are in the world.
0: Again, I want to say thank you for attending. Um, Maybe some of you feel the call to consider mission service. If you do, um, talk to us. There are resources up here. Um, This isn't a commercial for Adventist Frontier Missions. There are wonderful opportunities. I've just named a few, but I mean there are literally hundreds of opportunities now uh, for mission service. There is no excuse. If you sense a call to do missionary work, there's no excuse not to have a place of service. So please allow us to pray for you. And I'd like, uh, at the end of this, uh, we're a few minutes overboard, but let's, uh, I'll just uh, have a very brief prayer for all of us, uh, rededicating us to, to, to God's service. And if you'd like to kneel with me, we'll close that way. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for sharing with us over these last six sessions the, the needs around the world. Thank you for sharing with us, Lord, how we can prepare and become involved And thank you, Lord, for showing us today that uh, this experiment with sin is almost over, and that Jesus, your Son, is coming very soon, and you are coming for all the saved, the saved that you have called us to to go out and reach for you through your power, the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless us all, Lord, in our areas of service. Help us to be faithful to you, faithful to the call you have given and Lord, may the, more missionaries go out. We know that the fields are ripe for the harvest, but laborers are few. Help us to be laborers, Lord, and to help others go out to the highways, the byways, the farthest places of the earth so that this vast suffering world can meet its Savior. We thank you, Lord, again, for blessing us with the ideas that you've inspired through your word and pen of inspiration. Bless us all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people
2: to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at GYC Web dot org